Hello and welcome to Feed and Flourish, the bite-sized podcast series from the Closters Forum with me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I'll be talking to experts about biodiversity and about ways in which we can transform our food systems in order to positively preserve our planet. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations around some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. Hello, my name is Andy Sharpless. I'm the international CEO of Oceana. We're the largest international NGO focused only on ocean conservation. Our job is to win national policies that will put more fish in the sea so that people can eat them. Focusing then, of course, from your perspective on ocean conservation and marine biodiversity, we're looking at how food systems adversely affect them and how we can positively preserve them going forward. How do our modern food systems affect the biodiversity in our seas? Well, overfishing, not to put too fine a point on it, is driving some biodiversity loss in the ocean, especially of species that are at the top of the food web. Predators reproduce more slowly. Also, climate change and the related acidification of the world's oceans is seriously damaging the reefs of the oceans, and the reefs are the most biodiverse parts of the world's oceans. The combination of overfishing reefy places with climate change and acidification is especially damaging in those hot reefy places. So when we're looking at the problem as individuals, what should we be looking at to change in our daily lives, in our consumption, in our way we approach buying food, and obviously specifically fish, if we want to change this? Well, I have a couple of bits of advice. Eat low on the food chain. So in other words, eat smaller fish that reproduce more quickly. So eat the rabbits of the ocean, not the lions of the ocean. Eat locally sourced fish, um, very, you know, depending upon where you live, but many of the people listening to this, um, this conversation will be in countries whose oceans are better managed than the world's average. Eat, and also locally, if you do highly locally sourced fish, you're likely to be getting fish from a less industrial source where the fishing boats are smaller and less destructive of ocean habitat. If you eat farmed fish, uh, make sure you're eating a fish that is uh, a herbivore. Don't eat a farmed fish that eat, that is fed other fish. That's a seems like a good thing to do, but it's not. And the reason is that, um, for example, salmon are when they're farmed, they're fed uh, pellets that are made of ground up wild fish, and you put in about four pounds of ground up wild fish, you get one pound of farmed salmon. So you're actually reducing. Um, the amount of food that people could get from the ocean and you're not in any way helping to reduce fishing pressure. In an ideal world, would we stop eating fish altogether? Not at all. Um, in an ideal world, we'd eat more fish. Um, if we if we were able to manage our oceans better, they would be more abundant than they are now. We would be able to sustainably catch more fish than we do now. And that would be good not only for the biodiversity of the ocean, but good for the biodiversity on the land. Why is that? The biggest driver of biodiversity loss on the land is agriculture. We cut down the big biodiverse place, the forest, in order to plant the food production place, the soybean field or the grain field. The most intensive form of agriculture is livestock production because you need acres and acres of grain to feed your livestock. So in the future, in the year 2050, every time somebody's eating a fish fillet, Instead of a steak or 
fish fillet sandwich instead of a hamburger, they're actually helping to protect uh, biodiversity on the land. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it's a very important lever that we have to make sure that the biodiversity of the whole planet is protected. Abundance in the ocean helps protect biodiversity everywhere on the land and in the ocean. That's really interesting. And that's as individuals. But what do you reach out to governments and policymakers to do then in order to help and to change things going forward? Yeah, this is mostly what Oceana does. You know, market type signals from individual consumers' decisions are helpful, but in my view, they're helpful mostly because they signal to the policymakers that there's popular support for the laws that would produce an abundant ocean. What are those laws? Laws that require that when you uh, fish, you fish underneath scientific guidance, meaning that the quotas, the catch limits, are set in a level that's consistent with what the scientists tell you um, can be a level that sustains or grows over time. And that is mandated in some countries of the world. Um, European Union has done a pretty good job, actually, in the last five or ten years of rebuilding the abundance of the North the North Atlantic fishery off the coast of Europe. It's done a very good job. Their numbers are better. The Americans have done a good job in the last 15 or so years, both under policies that mandated that when you had a collapsed a fishery, the fishery, the government fishery managers had to fix it. And that means that they had to set quotas that would allow, in essence, the principle, the ocean principle, think of it as a bank account, the ocean bank account would grow so that the interest payments would then grow. And would you say that awareness of these issues is growing and that people in their growing awareness are prepared to do more about it? In the time that you've been working in this field, do you think that people are more galvanised and more ready and more willing to make changes to do what it takes to prevent these problems from getting worse? Yes, there is more will and there is more interest and there is more progress than people are aware of in rebuilding ocean abundance. But we need a lot more. So the very important thing for people to understand is that um, this is a country by country task, a country by country opportunity. When you look at the world's, and this is counterintuitive, because when you look at the world's maps of the oceans, it looks as though they're a big international place. And then you one imagines a kind of a discouraging scenario where you have to go to an international conference and then you have an endless discussion and you get a weak outcome. The very good news is that the most productive and most biodiverse parts of the world's oceans are coastal. And the coastal areas of the oceans were, were are under national sovereignty. They were given to the adjacent coastal country in the 70s and 80s. And so you do not need an international conference to set the rules for fishing off the coasts of anywhere in the world. And a relatively small number of countries have a huge share of the world's ocean productivity. Nine countries in the European Union together catch, you know, their oceans deliver about two-thirds of the world's ocean productivity. 29 countries in the European Union deliver more than 90%. And it's in those countries' self-interest to set policies that prohibit overfishing and require rebuilding and protect against pollution. And, uh, and so we see that happening country by country. Not everywhere we'd like to see it. Uh, the Chileans have made huge strides forward. We have a team in Chile, Oceana does. It's one of new laws that are rebuilding that ocean. The Canadians have just passed a new, for the first time in their long history, a law that mandates rebuilding of the Canadian Ocean. And as I already mentioned, the Americans and the Europeans have a good track record on this. We're, we're campaigning in 12 countries to get this done. 
and, and um, seeing steady progress. But there's a lot more work to be done. And the global fish catch numbers um, have not yet shown uh, the uptick that we'd like to see. When you say there's a lot more work to be done, it's hard to predict anything in the future at the moment. We're obviously recording this during time where we're isolating and where we're in the middle of a pandemic worldwide. But for the future, what are those things that most imminently need to be done that you're working on, for example? Number one, we need to see countries establish national policies that stop overfishing and require rebuilding. Number two, we need more transparency. When you're fishing on the public resource, you, you should be fishing in a, in, a, in a visible way. And, uh, and transponders should be required on all commercial fishing, fishing vessels so that they can be tracked in real time uh, by everybody in the world. Are they fishing legally? Are they fishing in the places that they're allowed to fish? Are they fishing with the licenses that they need to have? Number three, we need to um, minimize bycatch. And one of the biodiversity impacts of commercial fishing is the accidental or killing of non-target species. And actually, if you're strictly limited, interested in biodiversity, this is a big issue for you. So we need to establish strict limits on the, on the numbers of um, protected species that can be caught in commercial fishing nets and killed. So for example, the east coast of the United States right now, there's a highly endangered whale called the, called the North Atlantic right whale. And it used to be highly abundant in the tens of thousands, people estimate, before the age of whaling. Now down to only 400 individuals, only 400, only about 100 breeding females. The scientists who track this species literally know the names practically of each individual. And this animal is in decline. And it is, in, it is now forecast to go extinct for all time unless we take aggressive action to save it. And it will go extinct in the next 20 or 30 years, scientists tell us. What do we need to do? We need to minimize what's killing it. Well, we need to minimize the fact that as these animals swim north and south along, they tend to go from Canada down to warm waters off of Florida and then back every year. They encounter a huge amount of fishing gear, nets. They encounter lobster lines holding lobster pots, and they get tangled in these nets, and many of them drown. Whales, of course, breathe air, so if you're held underwater as a whale, you would drown, just like you would as a person. They also get struck by ships. Uh, ships need to slow their speeds so that the whales have time to get out of the way. And we're, we're, we, are, uh, our teams in both Canada and the United States are working to, with the governments to try to do both those things, to design some fishing gear that will be more safe and also to minimize ship speeds. And we're seeing action taken by both governments, but we need to see more. So that's the third category. So overfishing, transparency, and, and bycatch. Uh, restrictions are all very, very important. You want to protect the ocean bottom also. You don't want to allow bottom trawlers to drag heavily weighted nets along the bottom that are basically, it's like clear cutting the bottom of the ocean. It's a great way to catch all the fish in one season, but then to make sure there's no fish in the future because you will have killed the, the stuff that grows on the bottom and that gives them nursery areas and spawning areas. Bottom trawling is a very destructive form of fishing and it needs to be tightly restricted. Um, the last thing you want to do is to fight pollution. And this is the most discouraging and difficult piece of it. Um, we have acidification in the ocean from ocean's absorption of, of uh, CO2. And then of course we have plastic in the ocean from this extraordinary practice of companies to put their products in a, in a package that is designed to be used once, but made from a material that will last forever. It's an irresponsible decision, 
and uh, beverage companies and uh, food packagers and everybody else who's doing that needs to be pressured to stop and to convert to materials like we had before when I was a child that were perfectly suitable for the task at hand, but didn't last forever after they were used just once. You've mentioned a lot of different places, some doing better than others. Is it possible to say, and I'm sorry if this is a foolish question, but are there parts of the world where the seas are still rich in biodiversity and parts that are most in trouble? The reefs are generally in very serious trouble. They are the most diverse parts of the world's oceans, and they are, I'm very sorry to say, suffering more than any other parts of the world's oceans. And they are very, very, very difficult to turn around because uh, it's a combination of overfishing and climate change that's causing that, that problem. The, um, some of the, uh, the world's oceans in countries that are well-managed, um, that have the rule of law, that have scientific-driven policymaking, are seeing resurgence in abundance and biodiversity. You know, as, as I mentioned, we see that in the data for the United States, we see that the data for Europe, not all parts of the American Ocean and not all parts of the European Ocean. For example, the Mediterranean is one of the most most mismanaged and overfished part of the world's oceans. But the, the North Atlantic, uh, off the coast of Europe, is doing much better. So you have to get down sometimes to areas of the ocean that are um, subnational. But um, but we do see success stories. One of the great things about ocean conservation is that many species of fish lay eggs by the millions and they're a very robust robust part of nature. You give them a little bit of help in those things I mentioned, scientific quotas, habitat protection, bycatch reduction, and you can in a few years, in three or four years, you can see very substantial increases in fish populations. I find this an encouraging area to work. It's not like, you know, Land conservation often requires more patience. You have to wait 100 years for the rainforest to return. Uh, you don't have to wait sometimes more than five or 10 years to see measurable increases in ocean abundance and biodiversity. Can I ask lastly then, I mentioned we're obviously in a pandemic at the moment. There have been pictures, not of the seas, but for example, in Italy of fish swimming freely in the canals. Now, these might not be exactly accurate, but is there anything going on at the moment while a lot of the world is in lockdown that is doing good for the oceans and for the future that we might learn from when things hopefully get back to normal? Well, I mean, I, I really don't think there's any silver lining to this pandemic. I think it's a catastrophe for uh, everybody. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't wish it for any reason whatsoever. What we're seeing in, for example, those pictures you're mentioning in the, about Venice and so forth is basically kind of a rewilding I mean, we're not seeing, it's, it's too short a period of time for there to have been an increase in the actual biodiversity of the oceans, but we're seeing animals that were uh, moving to places that they didn't want to go before because there was so much human activity there. Um, you know, I, I read a story about somebody talking about seeing four bears on her front yard in, in Alaska, and that doesn't mean there were four new bears. That just means that the bears were coming into her, her yard. So it's a rewilding of pieces of the ocean. Um, I think that there is a reduction in fishing pressure because of COVID. I mean, people are not fishing uh, because they're afraid of the pandemic, uh, as they should be, and the sailors are staying ashore. And to some extent, that reduced fishing pressure, if maintained, will produce um, higher levels of some rebuilding of ocean fish populations. And that, and that will allow, should allow us to set new baselines for catch levels that are, that are good for the 
sustainability and good for the fishing fleets. Andrew, I think that there's so much more we could talk about, but I think there's a lot in there that people can learn from what you've said. Thank you so much for agreeing to take part. Well, it's my pleasure and thank you for your interest and congratulations on your on your series here. It's very good.